Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. TRP is a church affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. Our current sermon series is a study on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Even though Paul was addressing theological controversies embedded within a first century Jewish context, we believe that there are some very important modern day applications. Perhaps the most notable is the sufficiency of faith in Jesus for salvation and the unity we find in him. Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. So this is week two of our sermon series in the book of Galatians. And if you were with us last week, you know that I was getting pretty excited about the content of this book. And in fact, this is quickly becoming a very interesting and exciting book for me just in my own personal study. I don't know if you ever have this when you're like watching a movie or something and your stomach just starts to flitter because you are so enamored with how good this is and you can't wait to leave and go tell somebody. Or you're listening to a new album and it's like, this is, this is awesome. And you just like are getting anxious because of how good it actually is. Is that just me being really weird? Or do you guys understand what's going on? That was me all week as I was reading commentaries. I'm reading like nerdy, nerdy, nerdy stuff on Paul's letter to the Galatian church. And just like my stomach is all flittering and I'm like reading these passages thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to post this online. I didn't, but it, that's, that's just my, my first response was, oh my goodness, this is so good, this is so good. And I'm hopeful that you guys will catch some of my own excitement because for all intents and purposes, this is like exactly what we do here. We, we get our hands dirty and we try to get into the context of these letters to understand what's going on in their specific, in this text, first century Jewish context so that we can understand what's going on and live it out in a practical way as a college student or as an employee or as a husband or a wife or what have you. We can live that in a way that demonstrates Jesus to people. The way that we framed this um, introduction last week, we read from Richard Hayes from his commentary, which guys, that's like flutters going all over the place. This is good stuff. He says, as we read Paul's angry, passionate letter to the churches of Galatia, which I just can pause there for a second and note that we usually don't qualify scripture in this tone. We don't allow Paul to kind of have a chip on his shoulder as he's writing because this is holy scripture. This is the stuff that you wake up at five in the morning and you go sit at your coffee table and you, you open up God's word and you read it. And to describe it as a passionate and angry letter to the churches of Galatia, I think is helpful for us because Paul is dealing with, with some real stuff. But he continues, he says, as we're dealing with this letter, we find that we have entered an argument already underway. Galatians is not a general theological treatise, which means he is not, Paul is not just dealing with these general principles or theological truths that will hit people where they are for all time. No, in fact, it is an urgent pastoral letter written to a specific cluster of churches at a moment in crisis. Some people talk about when we look at Paul's letters, we are reading other people's mail. And in a very practical sense, that is exactly what we're doing. The problem is we're reading somebody's mail from 2,000 years ago. And for us to get back into that context and figure out what is exactly going on is going to be important. 
as we go forward. So this is kind of like our framing uh, motif where we're trying to figure out what Paul is writing in this urgent pastoral letter that's written to a specific cluster of churches. And in fact, what we unearthed last week was this is a letter with Paul responding to the impact of Jewish Christian missionaries working and teaching within the communities of Galatia at this time. Paul, what he has done, because he is a missionary to the Gentiles, say missionary to the Gentiles. I don't get you to repeat words enough, but just to keep you honest, Paul is a missionary to people not Jewish. Paul has had this experience where he has met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He is going uh, to Damascus to find Christians, to find followers of the way, which I think is such a cool way of phrasing it, to find them and to bring them back to Jerusalem. And on that trip, he meets Jesus. And Jesus says in this blinding light, Saul or Paul, why are you persecuting me? And this fundamentally changes Paul to the very core of his being, and he becomes a missionary to the Gentiles. This is his calling in life. This is what he is meant to do, to go to these non-Jewish people and tell them the good news of freedom and hope and forgiveness that is found in Jesus. And for Paul, this is a no-strings-attached good news. This is, listen, there is, there's Jesus who has shown up, and he has paid for our sins, and he has initiated new creation, and we get to become part of that. All we have to do is believe and trust in him and to align with his way of doing life and follow him with everything that we have. This is Paul's no-strings-attached gospel. And as he is preaching this, people are converting and people are starting to establish churches. Paul is like the church planter par excellence. He's going to all these different places and establishing churches. And he was in the region of Galatia for a little bit of time, establishing uh, multiple churches. And then when they were able to be self-sustaining and okay, Paul would move on. Now the problem is when Paul moved on, some Jewish Christian missionaries came into those contexts saying things like, listen, what Paul was trying to tell you, this no-strings-attached gospel about Jesus, yeah, that's okay, but it's not really true. We, the Jewish Christian missionaries, we have the real gospel. We have the real understanding of what it means to follow Jesus in this time frame. Paul was totally wrong. So N.T. Wright frames it this way. He, he's putting words in the mouths of the Jewish Christian missionaries. And understand this, too, before we go any farther. This is Paul, who is himself a Jewish Christian follower of Jesus, who is now engaged in arguments with Jewish Christian missionaries. This is what scholars are calling an intra-Christian debate, meaning this is Christian versus Christian, mano y mano, or committee versus committee, or community versus community. This is like in-house stuff. This is the bickering that takes place on your Facebook feed all the time when Christians are lobbing bombs at other Christians by saying, you can't think that, you're going straight to hell, or why are you thinking this, you're going straight to hell. This is an intra-Christian debate. Is that just me that sees that on there, or? Okay, it might just be me, but this is happening at least in the first century. And what N.T. Wright, he's putting words in the mouths of the Jewish Christians saying, oh, they've said, Paul didn't really know what he was doing. Uh, you could get into trouble for that kind of thing, Galatian churches. In any case, Paul just got his funny ideas by muddling up things that other people have said to him. We've got it from the real authorities. 
So the Jewish Christian missionaries, they come back to these churches and they begin to try to sow seeds of doubt that it's not just a no-strings-attached gospel. Another commentator, Richard Hayes, says, Paul was originally taught the gospel by the apostles in Jerusalem. And this is adding another layer to this whole discussion. This is the discussion that we'll talk about tonight. Paul was originally taught the gospel by the apostles in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christian missionaries said. But now he has deviated from the Jerusalem-authorized version of the gospel by preaching a watered down gospel of merely human devising, a gospel that disregards the divinely given commandments of the law. You see these Jewish Christian missionaries, when they came back over, they said, guys, you can't just follow Jesus. You have to get circumcised. You have to follow these Jewish laws. You have to obey Sabbath. You have to sit at the right tables, eating the right food with the right people. And if anybody invades that space, then you're out of the family. You can't just believe and trust in Jesus. That's crazy. You can believe and trust in Jesus, but you've also got to follow the law. And these Jewish Christian missionaries that go back to Paul's churches that he has established and built up and taught these people with his own blood, sweat, and tears, and has told them about the gospel and his experience of the risen Jesus, they say to these people, that's not how it goes. And Galatians is, in effect, Paul's letter to these people that says, oh yeah? You want to go? Let me tell you how it is, people. Uh, we looked at these uh, verses last week, and just to refresh your, your memory, he says, Paul, an apostle. The first two words of his book, Paulos, apostolos. You've got to understand first, before we go any farther, I am called and I am sent to do this. I am an apostle, and I'm not sent from men or by a man, but I'm sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And I'm writing to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you, but I've got some stuff to say before we get all gracey and peacey to you, okay? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And that's where we stopped last week because it's such a beautiful thing. When Paul is saying that Jesus has rescued us from this present evil age, what he is doing is fundamentally instructing people on how the world was working. You see, at this time, the Jewish eschatology of the moment was that we were in this age or we were in this present evil age. But someday in the future, when the Messiah came, he would usher in the age to come. It was like a linear thought of this age and then that age, and the Jews at the time were living in this age. You with me? When Jesus showed up, though, he changed everything. Watch the graphic. Here it comes. Bam! He's initiating a time where this age and the age to come are morphing into one. The death and resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. And Paul is now the ambassador and the preacher of this gospel to people. It's not just we're waiting for the age to come, but these two things are becoming one here and now. It's an already not yet. It is a time of new creation where, side note, we actually get to participate in that. When we accept Jesus and when we follow Jesus, we become part of the new creation. We become an image of that for people to see, and we can invite them into that. This, the gospel that we have is not just a, hey, um, listen, you can't smoke, you can't cuss, you can't have sex, you can't do anything you might want to do, but good news, when you live an entire life of faithfulness, you get to go to heaven and not hell 60 years from now. 
That's not a good gospel. What Paul is saying, the gospel is actually now when you align yourself with Jesus, you become part of the new creation and you get to give people an image of what that looks like here and now. So when you see brokenness and when you see suffering and when you see hurt and pain, you can step in and give people a different picture of Jesus leading people to wholeness. You give to give people a different image of folks that are sacrificing their time and their talents and perhaps going to some place like Houston that's in a mess right now because we believe that new creation is happening through the death and resurrection of Jesus and we can't just sit and watch things take place. We have got to invest and involve ourselves in the midst of those opportunities. And this doesn't just happen as we go to Houston. This happens every single day as you are seeing people in the midst of their conversations feeling broken and feeling ostracized and feeling hurt and we get to step in and say, I've got a story to tell you about new creation through Jesus and through his death and his resurrection. That's what this is about. I show that slide all the time and it seems like the nerdiest stuff that you've ever heard, like Jewish eschatology back in the day, it was this age and the age to come and Jesus has changed that. What it means is the ministry that we're able to do means something here and now. Woo. Woo. This is one of those statements that I read this week and like I was thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to tell somebody this. But if I just quoted this on Facebook, nobody's going to care. And maybe even as we sit here right now, maybe you're not going to care either. But just listen to how good this is. This is James Dunn saying the formulation where Paul's talking about Jesus rescuing us from this present evil age. It catches the ambiguity of the Christian situation nicely, he says. It's a purposed rescue operation in Jesus that has begun, but it's not yet completed because our lives still are framed by suffering and hurt and tragedy. Houston still goes underwater. The people that we have in our life still hurt us. We don't always get the job. We don't always get into the grad school program. We don't always have the money that we need, maybe even to provide for our family. And we live in the midst of that tension as people who are part of the new creation, a purposed rescue mission of Jesus that's begun but it's not yet completed. We are living as still within the present evil age because we still have our own temptations and our own drawings and our own inclinations towards sin, but we are no longer identified with it or ultimately dependent on it. That is beautiful. What Jesus has done changes everything. Oh, this is, a, this is a very long introduction to the sermon here. Paul continues, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. What Galatians is about is a controversy over what constitutes the real gospel. Paul is saying it's about Jesus, period. And the Jewish Christian missionaries are saying, no, it's Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus Sabbath, Jesus plus food laws and uh, ideas of who's at the table with you. So this is where Paul begins this new set of teaching today that's going to frame our time. I'm going to read uh, from verses 10 through the end of the chapter. This is Galatians 1. And try to understand as we go into it, all of this background. Paul is writing with a real chip on his shoulder to these people because they are now succumbing to a gospel that is undermining Paul's authority and undermining Paul's call to be, a, uh, to be a preacher to the Gentiles. They're taking his message and they're throwing it into the weeds. And this is what Paul says. Am I now trying to win approval of human beings or of God? 
Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by the revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me in by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother, and I I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and to Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard this report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. The word of God for the people of God. Now, when you just come to this passage, you might not get the fullness of what Paul is actually doing, but we see in the very beginning, uh, verse 10 is a transition from this introductory stuff where he's basically saying, oh yeah? That's the st you guys are deserting this for a fake gospel? You're, you're throwing my teaching under the bus? Oh yeah? All right, well, I've got some stuff to say. And what he says is in this transition, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? And most scholars would think that this is Paul interacting with the Jewish Christian missionaries rhetorically. This is something that they have said perhaps to the churches at Galatia that Paul was just trying to please people. When Paul shows up and he says, it's just about Jesus and following him, and it's not about following the law, it's not about circum... Like, it, he's just trying to please people. And Paul, just imagine with a chip on his shoulder, says, oh yeah? In light of all of this, in light of me saying, I've been called by Jesus himself, not by a man or not by groups of men, but by, by Jesus to, to talk about this, this rescue mission that Jesus is on. And anybody who preaches to you a different gospel, let him be accursed, he says in verse 9. Am I just trying to win your approval with that? Am I just trying to please you with that? He says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. One scholar says that it can be inferred that the Jewish Christian missionaries had tried to convince the Galatians that Paul had trimmed his gospel to the bare essentials in order to court their approval. I kind of think that this is like a double entendre here where the guy's saying um, that Paul is trying to trim his gospel when the whole thing is about circumcision. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when, when these people say, listen, when Paul shows up and he's just talking to you about Jesus, that's kind of like fluffy and really hippie, but let's get serious. We've got to, we've got to get circumcised, people. We've got to do this law-keeping stuff. And they're trying to sow seeds of doubt in Paul's uh, gospel by saying that he's just trying to please people, but Paul is saying, no. I'm not. What's at stake here is what the real gospel is. And I can assure you, I am not trying to please anyone. I'm only trying to please God. I'm not trying to give you a message that will just win favor with you. I'm trying to actually give you the truth that will fundamentally change your lives. 
This is not just me being scared of the knife or the traditions. This is me receiving a revelation from Jesus himself to give you a new and different message. And the thesis that Paul gets here in verses 11 and 12 is this. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach, that's some Greek stuff that didn't show up. It really, what the phrase there is, um, the gospel that was gospeled by me, is what Paul says. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that I was gospeling, the good news that I was telling you and proclaiming to you, it's not of human origin. This is the whole point in Paul's introduction here. It's not just something that I learned. It's not just something that I was taught. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And do you want to know something cool about this? Another way that you could translate this, if you really want to nerd out and you want to get like on a different level with what's going on, is this. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. It came to me by God's apocalyptic revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we're starting to sound like the scary people that we see on TV, right? Um, and that's not where we're trying to go. But what's happening is what, what Paul is wanting to tell these people is it's not just something that was told to me. It's something that I received by God himself. It was a revelation of Jesus on that road to Damascus, and it completely changed everything about me. Now, to prove this, um, what Paul is going to do in the next few verses is, is pretty intense. But just to frame it, he says, the gospel that I'm preaching to you is a dynamic power that has broken into the present time, and it's ushered in God's new creation. This is a fundamentally different way of explaining what Jesus has done and this is a way that the American church has not really picked up on because when we talk about Jesus, we talk about Jesus saving us from hell. And while that might be a part, we are fundamentally missing the beauty of the gospel by reducing it to that. Jesus changes everything. If you're sitting here today and you have said, you know what, Jesus, I want to follow you. With everything I got, wherever you're leading me, I want to become somebody who cares about those around me. I want to become an agent of grace and hope and love. I want to follow you as Jesus has claimed throughout the Gospels has come. Follow me. Do what I do. Go and do this for people around. If you're, if you're doing that, you are new creation. If that doesn't capture your heart and energize your soul, I'm not sure what will. The opportunities that are afforded us as people that understand that everything about this life is changed because of Jesus. Gosh, when we, when we diminish that to heaven or hell, I think that we miss a huge part of what Jesus was actually doing. This is Paul's testimony. He's talking as one who has uh, something to say about Judaism, right? These Jewish Christian missionaries are saying, we got to follow the law. We got to get circumcised. We got to do this, that, and the other thing. And Paul is saying, um, you guys know who I am. This is the testimony that I have. This is the story that I have. This is what I want to tell you. You know, and you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. This is only two times in the New Testament this word for Judaism is used, and Paul is using it as a contrast uh, to other uh, ways that people live. This is a cultural term. This is not just a law-keeping term, but this is something where he's saying, I used to be involved and invested in this frame of thinking, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. One scholar says that Paul is saying, in his younger days, he had seen Judaism as a heritage to be maintained with wholehearted commitment and to be defended with vigor. And how he does that 
is frightening, but it makes sense within that system. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. When he talks about being zealous, this is what is intoned in that phrase. It goes back to a guy named Phineas, who, when the Israelites were told not to intermarry, Phineas sees um, an Israelite man parading his Midianite lady around the camp, and he takes her into his tent. This is going to get intense, okay? They're going in the tent, and it's going to get intense. Thank you. Meredith calls this my short sleeve dad shirt, and that was a very appropriate dad joke. It's good to lighten the mood before I tell you what happens next. They go into the tent to get a little how you do, how you do. And Phineas says, not on my watch. And he gets a spear and he goes into the tent and he rams through the stomach of the man and the stomach of the woman, kills them. This is not a bedtime story for your children. We did not talk about this at VBS. It's kind of a crazy story, but why I'm bringing it up is because of this. The way that this story is told and cast, it says, the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my anger from the Israelites since he was zealous for my honor among them as I am. And I did not put an end to them in my zeal. This term here is a, I must Protect. The only thing that's coming to my mind right now is I must protect this house under armor. Sorry. But like in their mind at this time, it's the zeal of the Lord is causing them to protect the honor and the integrity and the holiness of God's people at any cost. Phineas. The story is told in Numbers 25. It's also retold in a book that's a part of the Apocrypha called Sirach and also 1 Maccabees, which, are, uh, which is a Jewish history. Elijah, in the same sort of framework, is one who challenges these priests, or excuse me, the prophets of Baal, foreign, a foreign god. And he's like got this, this thing where he's, he's um, in a contest with them to see who can ignite the altar. And the, all these prophets of Baal are like, they're cutting themselves and they're bleeding and they're, they're getting super intense. And, and Elijah wins this, this competition. And the way that they talk about this, uh, this uh, event in the book of Sirach, it says, then Elijah the prophet rose up like fire and his word burned like a torch. He brought a famine upon them and he reduced their number by his zeal. Elijah was intense about protecting the honor of God's people, not to allow these foreign prophets to invade, not to allow them to sully God's name. And Elijah was one who was zealous to make God's name elevate. Mattathias in the intertestamental period, this is after the Old Testament, but before the New Testament, he is one that is also consumed by zeal. There was a king who was telling Jewish people to go and, and put a sacrifice on the altar that kind of defied all of Jewish customs. And Mattathias saw a Jewish person doing this and he was zealous and he ended up uh, going a bit nuts. It says, when Mattathias saw this action, he burned with zeal and his spirit was stirred up. He gave way to his righteous anger and he ran over and killed the man on the altar. Later it says, he burned with zeal for the law just like Phineas did against Zimri in that story we read earlier in, in Numbers 25. And then finally, we have Paul here who is saying, I am zealous. Back in, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is laying out all of his, his accomplishments saying, listen, if anybody has reason to boast, I do. And one of the things that he says is, as for zeal, 
I persecuted the church. Listen, Jewish Christian missionaries, you're going to come in and you're going to say that Paul doesn't get it, that he's just trying to please people. Let me remind you of where I came from. Like I was invested and involved in that way of thinking, but no longer because the risen Jesus has spoken to me and called me out of it. This is not about people pleasing. This is not about just wanting to, to get away with the easy way. This is actually something that's completely different. He says, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God has a plan for Paul in the midst of all of this stuff, in the midst of his zealous outbursts, in the midst of his persecution of the church, in the midst of his failures. Paul, when he meets Jesus, is commissioned to go and to do something that's completely different than what he had imagined. And what he says is, my immediate response was not to go and to consult with any human being because I didn't have to, because Jesus spoke to me in that moment directly, and I am, I am doing what I'm doing because of a, re a revelation that I have had through Jesus. He says, I didn't go to Jerusalem. I only talked to Peter and James for a little bit after three years of this call. The churches in Judea didn't even know me. Jewish Christian missionaries, and what you're saying to me is that I've like got some fake gospel and I've distorted it from Jerusalem. I didn't even go there. I'm only working on what Jesus has told me himself. And this is it. This is the real gospel of grace and freedom. This is the real gospel of inclusion. These Gentiles, they don't have to become like us. They don't have to follow our laws in the way that we used to. It's something new is happening. New creation has taken place because Jesus has completely turned the patterns of this world on top of its, of its own head. This is the real gospel. It recognizes it's just Jesus. This is the real gospel. And Paul is saying in these verses, I received it independently. I didn't get it from Peter. I didn't get it from James. I didn't get it from the church in Jerusalem. I got it because Jesus showed up and revealed it to me. Now, one scholar says, and, and I understand that this set of texts here, this is very contextual. We talked about like we're reading other people's mail. And as you're sitting there, you think this has absolutely nothing to do with me. Paul, he's great, whatever. I'm not like questioning his authority. I'm not questioning the things that he says. Seems cool to me. I don't really care where he got it. It's in the Bible. It's got to be good. But what's happening here is when we're looking at Paul's gospel and the, and the fact that he is writing, he keeps saying it's independent of Jerusalem. It's not um, dependent on Peter or James. That's, that's a matter of little concern to most Christians, Scott McKnight says. But before we can talk about application, we have to ponder what lies behind the quest of Paul to demonstrate the independence of his gospel. And I hope at least glimpses of that are, are becoming clear to you. Paul is saying... Everything fundamentally changed for me when I met Jesus. So what about us? And this is where we're going to tie it all up, and I don't want to have a lot of commentary. I really just want to give you some questions to ponder. What about us? When we read this uh, section of text in, in Galatians, we could ask the question, um, or at least look at this thought, we too are the recipients of this good news. We too today are the recipients of Paul's no strings attached, just Jesus gospel. We are the recipients of that, and that should be something that's framing our lives. But when we think about where we are and how we live and what we do, is Jesus 
good enough for us? Or do we hedge our bets with all sorts of doctrinal beliefs, practices, all sorts of Christian-y or churchy things that we think are the ticket in, or are we just allowing Jesus to be enough? We are the recipients of this good news, but do we actually receive this good news? We too must examine our tendency to people please. As Paul is saying, he's addressing this fact where the, where the Jewish Christian missionaries are saying, listen, he's just like trying to uh, you know, make his gospel more appealing to people by taking out the circumcision bit and the law-keeping bit. But now what's happening here for us as we think about this, I, I believe that it's, it's asking us just for a moment to ponder our own people-pleasing. Our commitment to Jesus doesn't waver when we're with certain folks. The way that we want to live, does it change and does it shift depending on who's at our table? Do our commitments look different depending on who we're surrounding ourselves with? Beyond that, are we just people that want everybody to like us so we don't want to be offensive or objectionable or what have you? Can we say what Paul is saying? Am I now trying to please people or am I just trying to please God. Now, do not misunderstand me because I think Christians do this and it's disgusting. Sometimes we feel like that gives us license to be jerks and to be objectionable and to be not tolerant and to be stupid online or in person or wherever. That is not what I'm saying one iota, okay? Just because you're trying to please God doesn't mean you can be a stupid person. Don't tweet that, but hopefully you, you get the point. We too must examine the truthfulness of our gospel. What is it that we're hanging our, our lives on? What is it that we are actually doing? And what is it that we believe about Jesus? And how does that impact and affect our lives? We too should be transformed by our gospel. It's not just something out there for someday when we die. It's right here. It's right now. We should be excited about new creation and we should be the ambassadors of that in this world. We too should be prayerfully considering our calling. Paul, as the missionary to the Gentiles, as one who is giving his whole life away to something else that was completely not on his radar, being one who was in this system, he thought he had it figured out. According to zeal, it says he was persecuting the church until he met Jesus. I don't think many of us have to move that far away from the past, perhaps, but has Jesus completely grabbed us and transformed us so that we no longer look like the person we once were and want to move into a different direction where we are captivated by the heart of Jesus. I'm hopeful that as we think through um, this gospel that Paul is preaching and we spend time thinking about it, that as he is describing the beauty of what it means to be following Jesus, the fact that it was just given to him by revelation, the fact that it wasn't dependent upon these other people, and the fact that he has completely changed every bit of his life, not to please people, but to follow Jesus. I'm hopeful that we can take a little piece of that and begin to live our lives in a similar way where the lives that we have and the decisions that we make and the things that we do are guided by the heart and mind of Jesus, where we see brokenness and we step in to fix it, when we see people suffering and we step in to be a peacemaker, when we see people having issues or struggles, or when we just see people living a life that's not headed in the right direction, we have this story like Paul does to tell people about new creation and hope through Jesus. And it is my prayer 
that that is something that captivates us each and every day. Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.